When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk, the podcast for knife makers, knife nerds, cooks, chefs, and anybody else really who's got, who's got an interest in, in cutting tools. Now, before I introduce us hosts, I want to thank the listeners. I had a call today from a company who runs our, our podcasting service, um, and they say this is the fastest growing podcast that they have. So we're getting forty to 50,000 listeners per episode. So thank you. It's massively wow. appreciated by the three of us. Nice. That's insane. Crazy. These people crazy. are crazy. These people are crazy. <laughs> so on with the show. Um, I want to give a proper introduction to my co-hosts because I don't think we've really done that in the past. Um, we've always just sort of skimmed over because most people know who, who us guys are, but we're getting a lot of new listeners. So I think it's, it's worth us doing this. So first up is the legend that is Mareko Marmasi. He's a... Oh, I thought you were going to say Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no legend. I'm no legend. Only one legend in this room. <laughs> legend in some areas. So we've got the legend that is Mareko Momasi. He's a culinary knife maker who is Momasi Fire Arts on Instagram. And if you don't follow his work, you're just missing out. So go check out Momasi Fire Arts on Instagram. Um, that's M-A-U-M-A-S-I Fire Arts. Um, and next up, we've also got Jeff Fader of Fader Knives from Peakscale in New York. Yes. Jeff also makes knives for the kitchen. Um, and he's Fader Knives on Instagram, Fader, F-E-D-E-R. Um, lots of great content and amusing content, um, so go follow his account. It's fine. Thank you. I appreciate it. I make, I'll make you whatever you want. Make you whatever you want. <laughs> and myself, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. Again, I make knives for the kitchen. Um, I make them from my little studio here in France, and I'm Chop Knives on Instagram. So... He's also our fearless leader. That's it. That's the formalities <laughs> over. So what have we been up to this week? What have we been up to, Jeff? Uh, you know, what's funny is after recording la- the last episode, I my body crashed. I actually um, I finished uh, 37 uh, Cuban knives for Chef Carl Ruiz. I shipped them all out, and I don't know what happened. I, I just got... Uh, I got exhausted, and I was in. I ended up after the podcast. I went to the shop for five minutes, and then I went home and I went to sleep. And it was I was asleep for the rest of the whole weekend, and that was like kind of very bizarre to me. But then I started on some new projects. Um, I'm working on uh, some older orders, and then I'm getting gearing up for a uh, new uh, chef signature series, chef uh, collaboration with uh, Chef Linton Hopkins. With uh, we're going to use Pappy Van Winklewood. Barrel, mm. Oak barrels. He's nice. a guy down in Atlanta, right? That's right. He's a he's a he's a big time guy. He does a lot of stuff with uh, Quentin uh, Quentin Middleton, and he's a nice. dynamite chef. So we're working on his knives next. Love it. So what are you doing? Are you taking the tops of the barrels? Because I assume you can't take you know the the main sides of the barrels. Yeah, I, yeah. We did that once where I had a barrel shipped to me, and the in the and the staves are you can't really process them at all. So I've been yeah. getting it's less, a lot easier to get the heads or the tops because I can kind of cut them down and then I can stabilize them once they're cut down. So I've been getting the uh, the Van, uh, Pappy Van Winkle sent me two heads, and I'm going to process them and stabilize them, and uh, we're going to make handles out of them with a green stripe. Nice, interesting. Yeah. I- I feel like I would assume it's the same issue as the staves because don't they usually store the barrels on their sides? Well, the staves are super round, so you what you're getting is oh, you're getting something that, you, that you're not you're not your yield is much you know they 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 steam bend those sides, so right. they're they're really hard they're much harder to process. You can't just cut them down on a, on a table saw. And I didn't get even a lot think about yield. that. 
and it's yep. like you, it's pick, like I'm picking it up. <laughs> yeah, the the heads are you only need the heads because you can get like out of two heads for these knives. You know, you can get a lot of you, know, you only need two, and it's easier to ship. And they sent me a, Charlie Palmer had a, a, a barrel sent to me, and it was like it was the most insane box of all time. It wasn't even a full barrel. They they chopped it up and put it, you know just oh, put firewood in a box. It was. Ridiculous. So, yeah. So now I say the heads, and that's it. I only need the heads. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's good. Good move. Well, I've been working on on packaging. So obviously getting orders out. Um, oh, but yeah. On the side, they're working on a bit of packaging as well. So some new artwork and all that kind of stuff. And it's been real fun. So a lot of that stemmed from the, the chat we had last week, where we were all talking about you know different ways to package knives. And I've had a few messages, and there's been a bit on the forum and on Instagram and so on. So I've had a, I've lots of new ideas. Um, so I'm just trying out something new now. So hopefully I'll be able to post some pictures soon, so people can see um, how I go about packaging the knives. But it's it's been fun. It's it's yeah. It's nice to get sort of creative again and and think about things from a different perspective. Um, Very cool. Yeah, it's been fun. Very are you cool. doing more of the vacuum forming, or what kind of what do you make? What are no. you doing different? So uh, the vacuum form is great for a presentation box, um, but not for shipping because you can't really get those tolerances. So it's going to rattle around. Um, So I've taken, um, (laughs) let's say, huge inspiration rather than copied (laughs) from from Toma again of uh, Florentine knives, Florentine kitchen Mm. knives, um, and this, this stacked cardboard and sort of, um, it's almost like a 3D printing approach because you do it in layers. Um, right. So you have these different layers, and then you just you have sort of cutouts. So I'm going to be doing that with a laser. So I cut out the handle for the knife. Um, and I tell you what, you can get lasers very, very cheap. If you're not cutting steel, if you're just cutting card and cardboard, um, I've just I've just ordered a laser, and they're, and they're very cheap. So I can do these completely custom for knives. I don't have to do them on sort of long runs where everything's the same. Each individual yeah. knife can have its own cutout. Um, and they'll just shift really well. So um, I've been working on some prototypes this week just by cutting up, you know, with my hand and so on. Um, sure. But I'm hoping by the end of this week um, I'll have some some fully formed versions and the, the artwork's coming back from the printers and so on. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited for the, for the new packaging. And it'll, it'll, it's cheap. Uh, it's very light because, obviously, it's just card. Um, and it'll protect the knives perfectly. Um, so, yeah, it's all good. That's awesome. Very nice. Well, what go. have you been up to, Mareka? I've just been forging a lot of Damascus, and and just in the last couple days, been forging blades. Um, but I've been playing with some new patterns uh, based around a, a build that a customer has uh, has requested me for, and he essentially is like, you know, do do your craziest, newest, most innovative kind of stuff that you can. And so I've been sitting on this uh, bramble style pattern. It's like this, it's a kind of a different take on a weave, a weaving pattern, I guess. And it it looks like brambles or uh, I think, uh, I think I'm going to call it briar patch actually. I love that. It looks like, it looks like vines weaving uh, across the blade. And it looks really cool because it actually looks like they pass over and under each other. Um, versus the way, uh, kind of a traditional weave pattern or basket weave pattern would look where they just, I don't know, it's very different. Um, and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. I actually got the reason I settled on briar patch is because I got, I had a lot of people saying, you know, blackberry bushes, sticker bushes or thicket. And, uh, and I got a few, uh, briar patch and bramble weave. And so it was actually JD Smith, the great JD Smith, master bladesmith here in the United States, uh, based out of Boston. He he was at a hammer in we had last weekend and he he looked at it and in like five seconds he's like you should call this briar patch and I was like all right I guess it's settled <laughs> so <laughs> that's so much better than that, brambles much better Bram- yeah. you, know, Bra- you know brambles are brambles is I, a section I, of Central Park where there's a lot of hooking up there's a lot of really? it's it's in New York <laughs> it's like if you say I'm going to the brambles here you're getting it all people getting horny in the thorns. That's right. They're getting horny in the thorns. Now, you know what? That might be a better name for that pattern now. Horny in the thorns <laughs> might be your name. Oh horny in the thorns. That might be it, man. Sorry. Are you, that's your fault. That's your fault. Horny yeah, in the thorns. So, <laughs> so I, I finally got a blade. <laughs> I finally got a blade forged out of that steel. And uh, I finished that up, forged that out yesterday. So uh, tomorrow I'm going to be cleaning it up. And uh, I think it's going to look pretty incredible. 
So nice. it's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. It, it, it is it is stunning, and I, th- I think that most of the people who li- are listening right now have seen it. It's it's a stunning, stunning pattern. Thank you, thank you. So I've got a question, Morocco. So when when you're making yeah, Damascus, yeah. do you make lots of that one pattern, and that'll do you for you know a, you know for for multiple knives, or do you make a billet specifically for one knife? I so I usually make a billet specifically for one knife. Um, but lately, um, because I, I just with experience and practice, I've become more efficient with economizing material. And so with one billet, uh, I'm working on three different styles of patterns right now. And, right. and it's just because one billet can, yields quite a bit of material. I think I did the math yesterday. Um, it was about 37 cubic inches to start. And even just with the stuff... Uh, I'm using for the briar patch, or sorry, uh, yeah, briar patch. Yeah, don't, I, I've say, got... don't say the, the horny <laughs> and the thorns. <laughs> uh, you almost did. <laughs> Go ahead, briar I've patch. Already... Love briar patch. Yeah, yeah, the briar patch. I, I already got one, uh, like, seven-inch Santoku out of it. I got a 10-inch chef's knife out of it, and I there's probably enough material to do one more kind of uh, six-inch kind of petty or mm. um, kind of utility knife. So, uh, and then I also have, again, another couple patterns that I'm playing with. So out of this one, um, billet, I think I'm probably going to get five or six knives, which is nice. Wow. Nice. Nice. Do you ever, when you have like little scraps, do you ever, I know that, uh, Nick Anger takes his scraps and makes little tiny, you know, goofball, you know, not goofball, but like little tiny knives or something. Have you ever done like a belt buckle out of the scraps? Like I have a scrap end of a piece and you have. Yeah. Absolutely. That'd be, that'd be a pretty good belt buckle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have a few pieces actually that are cut down and ready for belt buckles whenever I get to it. Uh, but it's just a matter of having the time to kind of futz around with that. Um, but yeah, I, I do all kinds of stuff. I, sometimes I make jewelry out of them, like earrings or pendants. Or, uh, or or I do the same thing with wood scraps too because, you know, all the burl material that we work with is so beautiful. Yeah. And it's stabilized. And so it takes a really nice high polish. So, but the, it's, again, the trick is just having time to kind of futz around with it and play with it to get those made. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I hold on. To, I feel like a hoarder. I have all these nasty little cut off scraps and stuff in my shop. Oh, it's, it's great. Those scraps always, you know, I, I've, I keep all the scraps of my stuff for, especially for like spacers. Like you can, you'd be surprised at how much, how little you need to get a spacer going. So yeah, I just figured, right. I figured you have a pretty sweet pile of scraps. I do actually. I just forged out a uh, bottle opener um, oh. from one from one of the scraps, um, and I actually I sent a picture to uh, our boy Sunset um, at Sunset Forge, New Jersey. Uh, yeah, he loved it. He thought it was cool. I'll have to oh. send you a picture. Yeah, you gotta post it. Yeah, I gotta see that bottle opener. I was actually just uh, I did a Instagram live with uh, Jesse Savage, a blacksmith, and we were talking about how. Bottle openers are some of the best ways to do an introductory uh, blacksmithing uh, class. You know, he does oh, yeah. it. Uh, he teaches bottle openers uh, at the Center for Metal Arts, and we were just talking about how if, when you want to start in on forging, a bottle opener is great because it isn't an S hook and it isn't like a leaf. It's actually something you can use, but you learn all the different ways in which to move metal, and they're they're just a dynamite exercise. And usually, you walk away and you can use it. It's not like an you know, these S hooks that you make, you're not, you're not hanging up on your wall. Come on, be honest. There you go, Craig. Like, yeah, when, you, when you take your blacksmithing course, you should forge out some uh, bottle openers for your beer you're brewing there. Definitely. Yeah. But Do you I bottle it? Um, no, keg. So I have a tap. You just go straight to a keg. Yeah. Straight into a keg. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really good point, actually, about making something that you're going to use as well. You're going to put a lot more yeah. thought into it, and you're going to enjoy doing it too. You know. Well, that's you know, why I love chefs knives. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it, you know, with blacksmithing in general and, and schools and curriculums, a lot of times uh, you'll go to uh, one of these classes and they want you to take these introductory classes and you think to yourself, I don't want to make S hooks. I don't want to make any of this stuff. I want to make what I want to make. But you don't realize that, um, you know, that, that fundamentals is what's going to get you to where you need to be. The problem is, and I'm going to say this only because it's, it's, it's a slight problem the schools need to kind of think about ways in which they can make the introductory classes a little bit more uh, f- towards somebody who might not want to forge. Like, 
We used when I uh, John Ledford and I had a little school for a little bit long, a little bit called Hudson River Ironworks, and we were trying to teach classes to people who didn't want to forge again. Like a lot of introductory blacksmithing classes are for blacksmiths, but some people just want to make a knife, and then that's the last thing time they're ever going to pick up a hammer. So I think that right. that innovation of figuring out like the bottle openers are, have become very popular, and that class has become very popular. Settlemental arts, and because is you can make it. You can pop a hole in it, and you can make it into a keychain ring. And I think that you tr- are trying to find out ways in which people can take these fundamental and basic classes and make them interesting is something that the schools are starting to think about. And I think that that's going to make blacksmithing a lot more popular. Hmm. Absolutely. I always advise if, – if people ask me if they want to start forging, how, how do I start learning how to forge knives? And I, I always tell them – Take a blacksmithing class. Yeah, blacksmithing teaches you how to control and move, and make just make all kinds of crazy shapes and out of out of metal. And once you learn how to move metal as a blacksmith, you can forge knives easy. Um, At least I feel like you can forge knives easy. So, but I think it's it's such a solid foundation versus just randomly like grabbing a piece of steel and throwing it in your barbecue hoping it gets hot enough and then starting to bang on it between two hammers. Um, you know, taking a blacksmithing course is really a smart way to get into actual forging but, uh, you know, knives if, eventually. The funny thing is, is I was talking to Jesse about this as well, is if you talk to people who are blacksmiths and you talk to people who are bladesmiths, they have almost a different philosophy because blacksmiths, um, when I was a blacksmith at the Center for Mental Arts a long, long time ago, we I worked we did railings we did elements for railings and raw uh, furniture and all that stuff and we never even talked about Damascus we never even the the mm. thought of making Damascus it didn't I didn't even learn about Damascus until after I had left I'd been there for five or six years we'd never even brought it up sure. mm. and when you talk to guys like Jesse and John and Cliff and and, and blacksmiths. They're far more interesting, more interested in the moving of the metal than making Damascus versus, you know, where bladesmiths are looking at the Damascus. When I was talking to Jesse about that, he says, yeah, I have no interest. I don't – he makes a little Damascus for bottle openers like you were saying. Sure. But he said a lot of blacksmiths want to see the steel. They don't want to have to do all the grinding and the sanding and the, uh, all the preparation to make Damascus. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so it's it's definitely – there's only two mindsets. There's that mindset of I want to make the knife and I want to forge and learn how to make Damascus. And then there's the other mindset of like I want to move the metal. You know, I'm right. not more interested in that. Well, and there are a lot of, you know, not all bladesmiths, and I'm not saying that you're saying this, but definitely not all bladesmiths do Damascus. No. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's a kid uh, named Kurt. He's, he's Freehill Blades on Instagram, and I think he does a phenomenal job of forging blades. He just did this brute forge integral, like a fighter or something. Forge finish bolster, forge finish blade. He only just like did the slightest bit of grinding at the cutting edge but left everything else forged and it looks so nice colony colony for uh col- colony ironworks yeah yep colony colony I know colony. colony forge uh in ohio also colin he he does an awesome job and um yeah i think I, it's you know the whole i think more and more people are going to be doing the brute to forge style in fact i like you know i want to play more with doing brute to forge style chef's knives uh, the same way uh, Jared Thatcher, you know, leaves the forge finish along the blades. Like, it looks, it's a good look. I think what blacksmiths are really great at are keeping it clean looking, too. So it's still forged, but it's clean. And I, I feel like a lot of bladesmiths could benefit from some blacksmithing skills uh, when, it keep, and when it comes to managing that forge scale that builds up on the surface. Because sometimes that stuff gets really deep and craggy. And sometimes that can look cool, but... I think a nice, clean blacksmith kind of aesthetic is really nice. Could you just describe – I know you used an expression that some people don't really know. Could you ex- describe Brute de Forge? Yeah. I mean, I've only done a few Brute de Forge knives, but essentially it's a French – I think it's a French term. I'm I pretty would, sure it's a I French term. Yeah, I'm pretty sure French. it's French. Yes, pretty yeah. sure it's French. <laughs> I don't know the exact definition, but to me, a Brute de Forge knife is a knife that has been forged – extremely close to finished dimensions so that there's minimal machine work um, so that you actually get to maintain and keep that forged aesthetic uh, on the surface of the blades. And, uh, you know, you know, Lynn Ray is uh, who you've mentioned before is phenomenal with that. Uh, Nick Rossi even does a lot of forge finish kind of brute to forge stuff. Um, 
Aaron Wilburn. So, yeah. Aaron Wilburn. That's, Aaron, that's yeah. His, oh yeah. He's like probably he, his. That's and one of the most beautiful things he does is brute to forge. But I, I was always under right. the impression that brute to forge a lot of it comes from you know when people start uh, forging files, you know, and you're mm. see, you're 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 seeing the material. You're seeing seeing the made materials. Right. So when you see these file knives that are forged, you see all the indentations of where the rasps uh, were, but they're not ground down. Yeah. They're kind of hammered down. And it's that yeah, you, it, it's it's you seeing the forged finish of the knife, and that's what brute de yeah. forge means. It, the, right. the, I mean, the translation is sort of raw from the for, from the forge. Um, so I think it's that okay. sort of that sort of untreated hammer mark show and all the rest of it. You know, it, it, it's, yeah, it's it. just raw. Well, that's I mean, well, it, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that that style that Aaron Wilburn does. Uh, you know, I think it's. It would be we'd be remiss to not mention Joe Kiesler, who's an ABS. I think yes. he's a master. He must be a master smith. I don't know if books. he. Or, yeah, he's great. I, he's super talented. I don't know if he originated the brute to forge style, but he definitely brought it to a level that uh, very that has really inspired a lot of makers like Aaron Wilburn and myself yeah. to try to start playing with, especially the upset uh, kind of choil or or heel of the knife to help give create kind of an integral guard yes. in a way to the blade and it's it's so it's amazing it's it's interesting looking but when you hold one it's surprising how comfortable it is and um yeah so i just want to make sure i threw joe keys yeah. in there and give and him a little can, shout out you can get his books i mean i'm gonna do a little plug only because we're you know abs is very important the american bladesmith society has sells his books so they're uh, great how-to books on how to do that brute to forge style i think I mean, as far Absolutely. as I'm concerned, as a black, you know, coming from being a blacksmith, I, I mean, I, my favorite part of making knives is forging. So I, I really Absolutely. like the idea of doing it forged integral bolsters and not cleaning up those bolsters. I know that I've seen them done by uh, Nick Rossi and uh, I've seen a mm-hmm. lot of other guys, the guys you had mentioned, and that to me is far more interesting. I mean, interesting is it more, I would rather do less grinding and more forging. That's, that's what well, I'd like to do. There's a level of control that is, impressive yeah it's when in blacksmithing and that's what i love about the hammers especially like what sunset's doing she's like i look at it and it, form wise it's very simple what but often what looks simple is incredibly challenging to do that's and right. all of the work that has to go into creating that it blows my mind when i look at it i'm like how how did he get these lines so clean like all those guys you know cj duffton you know you know uh forger quinn pat quinn yeah like all those guys do you want me to know, they, tell they, you they, one they, of their secrets that a lot of handheld blacksmiths don't know? They're using flat. Yeah, they're using flatters a lot. Set hammers and flatters. Mm, so, like sure. when you're forging, you know, you're using it. You think about using it. You got one. You got your steel and your tongs, and you got your hammer in the other. When you use a flatter, you're not driving your hammer into the steel. You're actually setting a flat plate on the steel and hitting the flat plate, and you're able to take care of a lot straightening and that's how like pat quinn yeah. is a pat quinn is a perfect example uh, cliff um john uh, jesse they all use flatters a lot to kind of clean things up i mean if you look at uh the hammer that uh that craig just got i saw yeah. that hammer just in his instagram stories and i look at that hammer based on the hammer i got from sunset three years ago and i can tell how he flattened once he kind of spread the cheeks out he was able yeah. to flatten it using a flatter, and it's little things that you don't really think about that really sets it apart. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why some of these guys are so smart is they're taking that forged finish to the next level, and it's not just just because you use a hammer and an anvil. It's not all you need. Right. Mm. Oh, it's, and it's beautiful. Oh, it's the best. And they also use <laughs> – I'm going to tell you a secret. They also, they also use a sandblaster. <laughs> they also use a sandblaster, and I think that they also use that uh, that uh, what's that special that special wax that black wax. What's that special black wax they all use? It's called uh, what is that called? You know what I'm talking about, Marco. <laughs> well, I know what you're talking. I, I saw I saw Sunset putting it on, but I don't I don't remember what it was called. It's called Sculpt Nouveau. That's what it's called. Those, those guys are doing that. Use a Sculpt Nouveau. It sounds like an eighties electronic band. Sculpt yeah, right. Nouveau. Yeah, that oh, they're playing. They're playing with the thorny brambles. Marengo's <laughs> <laughs> notes to a new knife maker. Okay, I'll try to keep this uh, tight as possible. Um, so last week, part of my uh, beef was talking about. 
people touching the cutting edge of knives. Uh, and it came to my attention, uh, thanks to you, to uh, my brother-in-law. Shout out to you, Robbie. Um, he's a he's a subscriber and listener. If you haven't nice. yet, subscribe. Get in there. Hit that subscribe button. But anyways, um, I it, I realized you know it probably would be helpful to to try to inform people onto ways to to know if a knife is sharp or not. And that was one of the points he brought up. Is like you know he he doesn't know what he's looking for when he looks at a sharp knife. So the first thing he does sometimes is touch the edge because. If if it, especially if it's a knife I've handed to him, he's like, "Well, I want to know what that feels like." But the the reality is, touching the edge is not necessarily the greatest way of knowing how sharp the knife is. If the knife was sharpened on coarse abrasive, whether it be stone or on a belt, you know those teeth are quite a bit larger. If 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 it's like at a two twenty finish, you'll feel it. But the finer you get, the closer to a razor sharp uh, surgical edge you get. You can't feel those teeth. It, it actually feels like the knife is dull until you slide your finger across the edge and it slices right into you. And so the thing I, I tell people uh, to, to do is get a piece of paper. Um, you know, the lighter, the better. Uh, you know, regular uh, printer paper is perfect. Um, but what's great about printer paper, it, it's not an indicator of performance, but it's an indicator of what's happening at that cutting edge, how well sharpened that knife is, how fine that is. And so it, you can, you can see it based on how the type fibers tear in that cut. Uh, you can hear it if it's really coarse edge, it's a quite a bit louder than when it's a fine edge and it just like slices through like nothing and then you can also feel it so as you're cutting slowly through the paper you can feel if you know especially as a maker if you missed a spot when you're sharpening uh paper test is great to make sure that you've got the entire cutting edge um so it it, uh, it induces all of those fact factors all those senses are invokes uh, all those senses to to figure out what's happening and so um yeah, using paper is a great way to tell if you have a good keen edge. Um, touching the edge of the knife is not the best way, uh, and so I feel I, I feel a little bit sorry that I <laughs> got a little pissed off at people. But I realize, <laughs> for the most part, people don't. It's like the balance point on a knife. Like a lot of people don't really actually know and understand the nuances, so they go for the things that either they've seen other people do or that seem to be uh, the things that make the most sense to them as, um, I guess, a novice. Yeah. Uh, and so they go to the easiest indicators or what seem to be the easiest indicators of a quality. But the reality is touching the edge isn't the best way. Paper is a great indicator of how sharp uh, or what, not necessarily how sharp, because both a 220 finish and a 10,000 grip finish are sharp. But, uh, you know, they're both you want different finishes for different jobs, you know, on a, on a, uh, like a skinny knife. I think a lot of hunters I'm, I know, they, they take the knife to a 220 finish because they want a nice toothy, aggressive, strong edge because occasionally they'll come into contact with bone. You don't want that kind of super fine edge when you're going to potentially come into contact with bone, uh, like a 10,000 grit or even a 6,000 grit finish. But if you're making custom made straight razors, you do want that super fine edge. And so, Use paper. Don't use your finger. Even if you have to walk around with like a little notepad in your back pocket mm -hmm. if you go to a show or something. If you really want to test the edge. But my advice is, uh, especially at a show, maybe trust the, <laughs> trust the people. If I, if, if, I was, if a stranger comes up to your booth, I know you don't really yes. do booths, and then they don't say a word to you and they pull out a piece of paper and they cut, with your, and they cut your knife with a piece of paper or they cut your pa the paper with your knife, are you going to think what a dork they are? I'd be like, hey, man. No. You're not going to think I, they're a dork? I, I'll offer them some paper. I bring, a, I bring a phone book with me to shows so you, I can show people. You bring a phone book? What if, I, what if I came out, I didn't know you, and I just put, picked your knife up and I started cutting paper? You don't think I'm a dork? Well, I think you're a dork. For, no. <laughs> First off, I know what you're doing now. You listen to me. <laughs> I'm, I, giving, I, you I trouble. You I'm take... giving you trouble right now. <laughs> no, I appreciate No, if that means that you've taken some advice. But uh, no, I, first off, if you just pick up a knife off somebody's table, that is very poor conduct. You do not do that. Because, I hate that. You know, I hate it. You, people have poured so much time and effort, and, and they're there to show the knives. But man, it shows. I've, I don't know how many 
dads walk by with their kid trailing behind him. The kid's touching everything on the table. I'm like, damn it, kid. If that thing falls off, I'm beating up your dad. <laughs> wow. Strong move. Strong move. Maybe that's what we should sell. We should sell pads of, of Knife Talk podcast paper just to bring with you to knife shows. And you can just start cutting up. <laughs> He's just cutting up Knife Talk paper at the, at the Blade Show. Specially formulated paper, yeah. 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 Perfect. Yeah. We'll add it to the store. That sounds good. <laughs> Boom. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> this, this actually fits perfectly. We're going to seamlessly go into, hey, man, can I ask you a question? So just to give people an idea, if what I do uh, on usually Wednesdays is I go on to Fader Knives, and then I'll post ask your questions. If you want to have a question, if you want to – contribute to the show you can um pay attention and then submit p- questions and then we'll ask those questions and we'll say your name also as craig had said in a, in a previous podcast if you have a question that you'd like to hear your if you want to hear your voice record something and then tag craig in it or uh, knife talk and we'll rip the audio and you'll be able to ask the questions in person that's how you can be involved so totally. that's 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 that all right so question turn, number- on, turn on those notifications so you don't miss anything yeah. Just yeah, case. or just no, pay I mean, attention, or just you know, just or, keep your keep your keep your eyes open. That's all. Just the keep notifications your eyes open. out. <laughs> so, hey okay. man, can I ask you a question? Comes from a very high level friend, Jeremy from oh Simple Little Life. He's got a two parter, and we're going to seamlessly squeeze it in. What are some of the most practical knife tests you've seen? And then there's a follow up question, so I'll ask the first one. So, what are the most practical knife tests you've seen? Mm, talked about paper yeah yeah i do when i sharpen my knives i do a mirror finish on the edge and i use paper and what i can tell the difference with the paper is with the slice cut and the push cut i can tell if i've buffed enough when it slides easier if it doesn't leave that that uh, raggedy edge on the on the Mm -hmm. slide you can feel you can feel the difference when you're when you're cutting paper oh for sure and it's 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 amazing what 10 extra passes on the buffer will the difference between 10 extra passes on the buffer will do uh in terms of the performance of your knife keeping up that resistance i i'm with you a thousand percent i use paper i love paper some people say that it's abrasive to your edge if you got worried about paper ruining the edge of your knife you got you got you got a tin foil knife it's some bullshit you got some bullshit right there so i like and what do you think's happening when you're using it against a cutting board like that's a little worse than the paper, so the <laughs> yeah. paper's an I've issue. Seen, yeah, I've uh, seen. Oh, don't don't use paper; it's too coarse on your edge. Are you crazy? No, I've heard it too. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's the same. The reason I got once in a while, I get a message like, "When you use Kydex, doesn't that scratch up your blade?" And I'm like, "Well, if the fucking thermoplastic is scratching up your blade, you got a shitty blade. It's not scratching <laughs> up your blade. Pa- plastic." So, Craig, what do you think about uh, practical knife tests? Um, I mean, I use paper too. And, you know, you just talked about the, the feel and the sound that you get, to, you know, to know if your edge is good. Um, but I use plenty of different types of paper as well. So, you know, use, use magazine paper, which is glossy, um, use standard printed paper, um, each will have its own feel. Um, but what I also like to do as well is take a, take an edge of the paper and just see if I can just shave, you know, very small strands as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, that seems to help. Um, but you know, whatever gets you through the night, if you know, you're, you're testing for blade is sharp, it depends what you, the blade <laughs> is going to be used for. And you know, we just, we just mentioned people, you know, cutting water bottles, people cutting, you know, the, the, the toilet roll, empty toilet rolls, what, whatever you've got, you can tell if a knife is sharp, but yeah, don't use your skin or your hair. That's well, disgusting. You're, you're, you're getting into my next question. So oh, you, you guys are like horning in. You're stepping on all my stuff here today. So Crazy. next, here's your next, hey man, can I ask you a question? This is the follow-up from Jeremy who says, what are some of the most ridiculous knife tests you've seen? Mm. Um. I think a lot of it is. I mean, there's a whole culture of people testing knives to destruction. It is there, you know? There's it's a sport. People people do this as as you know for fun. Uh, but people, you know, hitting bone and things like that. I just think that's that's crazy. You're not going to want to use that knife again, oh. particularly if it's got a fine edge, because you know you're chipping your edge. Um, right. But yeah, we, we we've mentioned three times already. Well, shaving shaving I, arms, shaving I heads. I will say, I will say that shaving thing. 
makes me nauseous. It makes yes. me nauseous for there's a couple of things that make me nauseous and and that shaving thing is especially you pull out your disgusting arm or your disgusting leg and then you start to and, and you say, oh, yes, it's sharp, it's sharp. You can shave with your you can shave the, and I've done this. I had a patch on my on my wrist that I used to shave and all of a sudden I thought yeah, look, and my wife would say, "What are you? You have like mange? What? Why do you have these weird patches of no hair?" And it was always disgusting to me. And she and she said to me, "She said to me, are you expecting people to use that now? It's got like it's got all your your hair on it, and even though if you wash it off, it's disgusting." And, and I'll be honest with you, it's kind of like those 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 file knives. Those file knives are for cleaning up hoofs of 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 of, of horses that are walking in shit. How do you think you clean that off? I, I just think that I think the arm hair and the leg hair thing sandblaster. I think that it's I think it's gross. I think it's gross. And and I understand, I understand. I've I've already I've this hand pick has gotten a lot of people mad, and I think that we're <laughs> I'm I'm happy to, you know, accept all and I appreciate ultimately I appreciate you reaching out and listening to the podcast. But the arm hair thing is like, I got it. Your leg hair, I I get it. It's it's what disgusting. I have seen people do with hair is actually take a single strand of hair um, and split it. You know, Adam and, does that. Adam yeah, from yeah, Built Sharp does that, that look, a lot. That looks pretty cool because that shows that knife is blisteringly sharp. Depends um, on what kind of hair it is. Well, I suppose. If it's fucking curly. If it's a short and curly, I don't want to see that either. <laughs> we'll be shaving your pews with your knife. It's disgusting. Gah! Gah! Well, you know, I think I think that hair shaving has a place because sometimes you you're – tool whatever it is you're making especially if it's a razor needs to be able to do that but i think uh posting it up publicly maybe not as necessary i don't think it's a sales the way to go i don't think it's gonna boost your sales i don't think you'd be like hey man i want to get his knife hey do you see how he shaved (laughs) his leg with it wow awesome but people do love people do love the old water bottle chop that goes down very well i Used to make a lot of jokes in my shop about the water bottle, the water bottle shop. Until I did it, and I have other people do it. There is a there's a trick to making it look as as ninja as possible. You got to go sideways. You got You can't go straight because what happens is, and sometimes a lot of people blow a little air into the water bottle too because you want it to be plump. So there's no like bounce at all. You don't bounce it off. But if you go sideways. You do a night. You have your blades nice and sharp, and you go side like at a forty-five degree angle. Mm, it just yeah. it slices off. The bottom stays, and the water line stays at the bottom. That's badass. Yeah. But it's really it doesn't really going to make your tomatoes nicer looking when you cut them. No, that's for no, sure. No, but it looks cool. Looks cool. Looks super yeah, cool. I think when when it comes to actual performance, especially for chef's knives, there's no way to really test the performance in a two second test rather than you know just using the damn thing. But I do see all the bottle bottle chops and the and the and the paper towel roll cutting and all that stuff. And again, those are all indicators of how sharp the edge is, uh, or somebody has really good cutting technique. But it doesn't necessarily indicate performance of the actual thing. So mm-hmm. I think the best way to figure that out is to use it. And hopefully, you figure you've done that R and D before you're trying to sell this stuff to people. Hey man, can I ask you a question? All right. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? This one comes from Mike666. He wants to know, what books would you recommend for stock removal guys who want to get more into blacksmithing? And I know that you probably don't have anything offhand, but I do. So whenever you is there a book that you particularly like that you think would be helpful? David Boy has a really good book. It was uh, originally written like in the early, mid-70s or something like that. I, I can't remember the title exactly. I think it's like... You can make knives, or something to the effect of you can make knives, or knife making, you can do it, something like that. But I'll, I'll post it up. There's but a really good. I, I know what you're talking one. about because I have. There's a. I, have, I bought a couple of those bladesmithing books, and they're usually very good. If you want to get a good all around book that's going to help you understand about blacksmithing, it's going to help you in jar, in terms of what you need to set your shop up. There's an old book called New Edge of the Anvil by Jack Andrews. That's a really awesome resource for – when I started working at the Center for Metal Arts and I saw these anvils, I was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on here, but I got I better figure it out. I got New Edge of the Anvil and it was really interesting to me. There's a lot of drawings. It shows you how to use certain things. It shows you all, how the tools work. It's a very good – it's got a lot of information on decarb and what's that and everything and how 
it's a really great uh, resource for uh, someone who wants to learn about blacksmithing. New Edge I just looked it up. Jack Andrews. Sure. I just looked up the David Boy book. That's B-O-Y-E, boy. It's step-by-step knife making. You can do it. You can do That's it, boy. You can do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not one really for books for learning. Um, I mean, I've, I've got quite a few books now on knives, and a lot of it's about the sort of history of knives and the culture around knives. But when it comes to learning, I just find sort of watching and you know thankfully we got you know we got youtube and we got these great platforms but um true. I, I struggle to sort of sit through a book for something that is physical you know right um but yeah you just mentioned some great books i'm sure i'm sure i knew a couple guys who were very book smart but then you put something in their hands and it was just like hey man you gotta mm. get in there baby hey man can i ask you a question all right this this last one comes from brendan walt brendan walk he says, if you had all the money you needed, what was the first tool you would have bought? So one tool, what would be, if you had, money wasn't an object, what would be the one tool that you would have bought? A... Travis Ward's grinder. <laughs> Whoa, tell, what's that all about? TW90, the Travis Ward's grinder. That thing is the best grinding machine I've ever used. Oh. And, um, yeah. I I did see. I'm not going to say the make of it, but everybody knows the make of uh, you know a big grinding company in the US. Um, they released the new grinder this week, which looks incredible. Yeah, it's obviously <laughs> variable speed and it spins around onto its side, so it's horizontal as well. It looks it looks incredible. Nice. I would get a 500 pound anvil. I would get one of those anvils that you need like a. a, a uh, forklift to move because I, I, I when I was at the Center for Metal Arts they had uh, a 500 pound uh, Euro anvil. It was so massive, but it was so when you hit when you hit anything on it, it doesn't move. Just like over the Center for Metal Arts, they just rehabbed some bridge anvils, and uh, I was talking to Jesse about he was teaching class down there. And he was using these bridge anvils. Bridge anvils are there's no stump, there's no base. It's basically on it's it's forge welded onto feet. And then it's bolted into the ground. He says, when you use a big anvil like that, that has no movement, you get, when there's no vibration, it's not rocking on your stump. It's not, it's just a different story. And I used to, when I used to work at, we used to use this giant uh, 500 pound anvil. Your forging is totally different because you're not having to compensate for the hammer rattling around, the, the anvil rattling around. So all your force is super in there. I would totally get like a 500 pound, you know, you know, $2,000 giant anvil. That's what, that's what, that would be mm-hmm. what I would love. I'm glad you explained it because at first I thought you were trying to compensate for something with a 500 pound anvil. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, well, the thing is, is the thing is, is if it's in a movable object, you're using less force because you're not, you know, that force isn't pushing your anvil around. So if it's really on your base or it's bolted to the ground or it's like it's not moving anywhere, you're you're yeah. going to be more efficient. And all of a sudden you're going to feel that steel move differently. You're going to you're going to feel you're going to feel it get colder. You're going to feel it, you know, you're going to feel it move quicker and more. You're going to you're just going to yeah. love it. You're going to love it. So you're right. Yeah, I we, am we have okay. <laughs> We have a 450 Peter right at the shop. And yeah, no, it's it's a big difference between forging on that and one of the little, uh, like one ten, uh, student anvils. Oh yeah, uh, it's a big difference. Big difference. If it doesn't, you know, sometimes you see some of these videos and these guys are forging on an anvil, and the thing is, you know, even if it, it's the the video is speeding up and the anvil's sliding across, dancing across the room. But if you have an anvil that's so <laughs> monstrous, and when you hit, it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't ring, it, it's just like I would. That's what I would go for. Like, just go. Just a beast, just some big, yeah. ridiculous monster. Mm. There you go. All right, so Mareko is a grinder, yours an anvil. Yes. I'm going to go completely different because I think that's why this show works. The three of us are very different in how we work and what we produce. Um, so I'm going to go with, and you're going to hate me for this, um, a, a fiber laser. You know, it's sort of, they're about 15, 20 grand, but uh, mm. a laser that cuts through steel just so I can prototype very, very quickly. I can, oh, I can yeah, put up sure. little production runs in my own shop of, you know, maybe 100 knives, 150 knives, get them all cut in one day. It would just make me a lot more efficient. Um, yeah, that would be very cool. I have a question about that. 
Yeah. Because I sometimes I've been recently getting stuff water jet cut, and I always yeah. thought that water jet cut it it it's I don't know the difference except for in my mind I'm thinking that the laser is making the steel hot, and you'd have to normalize the knives. I do, yeah. So when I had the um, the steak knives done, I had some water jet cut and some laser cut, so I could see the difference. Um, the the laser does generate huge, huge heat, so they had to be normalized. I, c- I couldn't drill holes after it had been through the laser process, so they all had to be normalized. Whereas the right. water jet knives didn't; right. they were, you know, they were they were they were soft, still ready to go. Um, so yeah, don't get me wrong. I'd love, I'd love a water yeah, jet. Let's give them a water uh, jet. Why don't you do water jet too? <laughs> but we're talking cost differences here. Ah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it would be great to be able to just prototype big runs of knives very, very quickly. Um, that would be lovely. Yeah, I love it. Well, there you go. Hey, man, you answered the questions. Craig's Community Showcase. This is Bill Benke. He's been mentioned on the show many times. Um, he's, I'm standing he's actually, and saluting. I'm standing and saluting as we record. He's standing been on the show too. We d- I did a special sort of tools and materials special um, months ago, and Bill came on for sort of 10 minutes and talked. Um, but I always knew about his great file guides, and we talked last week about a, a, a new tool that he's working on, which I don't know whether I can mention or not, but I won't. Uh, go ahead. Um, <laughs> um, but I... Again, I was just looking at his work yesterday. I was just scrolling through my feed and some of his stuff come up. So I thought, let's have a look at his profile again and just see what he's been up to. And that, his work is incredible. So in, in particular, I was looking at this liner lock that he's done and this the most beautiful feather Damascus that I think I've seen. It's it's stunning. Mm, um, nice. So, yeah, so check out Bill Benke on Instagram. He's Bill Benke, which is B-E-N-H-K-E. We'll put that in the show notes so you can just link straight to him. Um, and, and Bill bought a T-shirt this week as well, a Knife Talk T-shirt. So I'm not saying, you need, to bu- I'm not saying you need to buy a T-shirt to be featured in the oh, Community Showcase, see, but it'll I certainly see. help. But can no, just, but honestly, his work's incredible, incredible what, stuff. He is I, – I met him uh, – I, I met him at Blade Show. He is one of the nicest guys I've, I've met. Yeah. And as – he is so forward thinking and he's just, he's just a super nice guy. I love, I love, I, I really enjoy talking with him. He's super supportive. He's just like one of these guys that he's just very forward thinking. He's smart. He's helpful. He's nice. And he's just a dynamite guy. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't be happier that you picked big Bill. Bill, Bill's a dynamite guy. Dynamite. For sure. Yeah. So if you're not, if you're not looking at Bill's work, if you're not following him on Instagram, you need to. It's going to up your game, too. Yeah, he's great. Great guy. Absolutely. Awesome knife maker. Awesome. Well, just just to explain what happens here. So we started to do this idea of what a, you know, there, there are things that get us ticked off, either knife-related or not knife-related. So we decided that we, what we would do is we would have a, you know, an opportunity to vent our frustration. So once again, in regards to if you're interested as well, if you wanted to be involved, and I'm hoping, I'm really going to push for an all-beef show at some point. I think that we should do an all-beef show with our viewers' <laughs> beefs, and we could do it would be a holiday special, and we just, just, just beef it up. And so what we've been doing is, if what you can do is, is if you want to record a beef and send it to us, maybe we'll read your beef instead of deal with our own beefs. So that's it. <laughs> Christmas special. Christmas beef. Oh, it would be all beef. I love it. 100% all beef. Love it. Love it. Go well, ahead. Why don't you start us off, Jeff? Well, my, my, you know, I, I, this is a b- very bizarre, and, 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 and it's not knife-related. It's, it's kind of civilization-related. I, I, you, you'd be surprised to know that a lot of times I feel that uh, – being polite in society is the, it's the it's the linchpin of our our civilization, and I think that being polite is very important. And something happened a number of years ago when I was a kid. I used to I knew about the Australian people by Crocodile Dundee, and you hear all these expressions. And I remember when I was a kid thinking, "Wow, this is fantastic!" That ain't a knife. Yeah, that you heard that and shrimp on a Barbie, and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, you started to hear another expression. It's no worries, no worries, mate. And for some reason, you know, that's that movie was, what, 30 years old, 40 years old? For some reason, Americans started saying no worries. 
I started to notice it more, you know, younger kids started saying, and now years have passed, and now... You know I, why? You know why? Tell me. The Lion King. Akuna Matata means no worries. I was going to say Bob Marley. You know what? Man, <laughs> that's... that's that, I didn't even think about that. I don't why. All right, so let me just get to it. <laughs> Here's the problem with no worries. From an American... As spoken by Americans, and I'm saluting you, our Australian fans. We have a lot of good Australians out there. I'm with you. And I, 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 for some reason, when an American, it's usually like at a coffee house, it's a young barista. It comes across as like, when you, let's say I'm buying coffee and I give them a $20 bill. I say, oh, sorry, I don't have any smaller change. And they say, no worries. That to me doesn't sound like no problem. That sounds to me like I forgive you, you idiot. So every time I hear someone, especially an American, say, no worries, I always think that it's, I forgive you. And it's like, we're not in a position where I'm asking your forgiveness. I get no worries a lot. And every time, and I think that as a viewer, a listener, you should listen to, when you hear someone say, no worries, they're not saying, hey, no problem. I was in a line at a supermarket, and I wanted to get past someone, and I said, excuse me. I like saying, excuse me. I like being polite. I say, excuse me. Excuse me. And they said, no worries. And I'm like, I don't want your fuck. I'm not, I'm not apologizing. I got to get out of here. Get out of my way. And I don't understand it. But I'll tell you what. I, every time I hear, especially a young American, say no worries, in my mind, I, I, don't, I, don't want your, I don't want your forgiveness. So, Americans, stop it. Stop saying no worries. And now all you know that when people say to you no worries, they're saying, I accept your apology, fuck. That's my beef. Don't use that. Don't say it anymore. Morocco, you must have beef. Uh, I do have a beef, and it's more of a personal beef this this week. Uh oh. Um. Oh, it's just it's just me and my own stupid crap. But there are some days when I'm in the shop working, and maybe I'll drop something. Beginning of the day, no big deal. When I do it a dozen times throughout the entire day. By the end of the day, I'm fucking pissed. Dropping what? <laughs> and I, just stuff. Just I, I have a case of the dropsies, so I'm just <laughs> dropping stuff hey, all no day worries. long. And no it, worries. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you accepting my apology. Um, yeah, I just it drives me crazy, and so it's just it's day. I, so my beef is with days like that where I just have butterfingers and I can't seem to hold on to stuff. And it's not, it's nothing important normally, not a knife or anything. It's just little stuff. Um, but it's annoying and mm. it doesn't happen that often, but when they do, I hate it. So that's it. That's all I got. All right. Well, you're a very happy hate, guy, obviously. You don't have a lot of hate. I hate having heart. the dropsies. You don't have hate in your heart. <laughs> Go ahead, I've Craig. Got some, I've got some, a lot of hate in my heart today. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a person. And normally on this show, we don't like to call people out. Uh, we try to be quite respectful of, of everybody. Some of us do. But there's this one guy. This one guy. Assuming he's a guy. Assuming. Um, at Knives Outdoor on Instagram. <laughs> this guy. This guy. <laughs> so it was quite innocent. Well, it wasn't innocent. It wasn't innocent. We spoke last week about um, knives that we use. It was one of the questions. You know, what kind of knives do you use at home? So I posted on the uh, the the Knife Talk podcast um, Instagram account a picture of my of my knife rack of the knives that I use. Um, within minutes, which made me think this was a bot originally, because within minutes this photo was taken and put on his account, and I don't mean sort of you know a, sc- a screen grab or you know any sort of repost or anything like that at all. He posted this as if it was his content. Um, which, as I say, I'm, I thought it was a bot, bot, because it was done immediately. Uh, but somebody sent me a screen scrap saying, you've seen this guy, he's used your picture and so on. So I put up a, just on Instagram stories, just say, hey, man, this isn't cool. You know, you're, you're stealing somebody else's content. And content isn't easy to come by. You know, we're, we're all trying to put ourselves out there to showcase our work, or in this case, to showcase this show. Um, and when somebody steals content, it's, it gets my goat. So, I mean, he actually contacted me and said, he replied to my original post of saying, hey, man, this isn't cool, by saying, well, how do I know it's, it's yours? This is it's a tag content? team beef here because I get, I get to tap in at some point. 
we're going to get to this in a second. This was quite <laughs> funny. This was funny. Um, but yeah, I, I said, hey, man, this isn't cool. He replied saying, well, who says it's your content? So I replied saying, well, first off, they're knives that I made in a kitchen that I built, taken on a camera of mine and posted on my account. You know, I'm pretty sure that makes it my content. Um, so that really, really got my goat. And I mean, I looked at his account then to see the kind of stuff that he was doing. Um, and this guy is selling $50 Damascus folders. You know, they're going to be they're going to be shit. And what he's doing, he's taking other people's content to advertise his stuff. And that is fundamentally wrong. But I did enjoy Jeff's chat. So I'm going to let Jeff take over my beef here. This was so much fun, but I fucked up. Because (laughs) what happens was we all have access to the Knife Talk uh, account. So I was like, all right, so somebody, you know, we see that in the blacksmithing community. There are these guys selling T-shirts. They're stealing, you know, there's pictures of Liam Hoffman all over the place. Yeah. So I saw the message that he wrote, and it got me furious because it wasn't as nice as what you said. It was, what makes you think it's yours with three S's, as in he's hissing at you, with the angry <laughs> face emoji. And all I could think of is, I got to see this motherfucker here. So I went to hit what he's selling, and you're right, exactly. He's selling these $50 bullshit Damascus knives, and I was furious. I was furious to that, but I was furious that he was getting mad at us and using emojis. So I wrote to him, hey, man, just because you use a fucking couple extra S's and you put a little girl emoji face doesn't mean you have the upper hand. And then I wrote, I've seen what you're doing with your $49 bullshit, and it ain't working. And if you're trying to target our, you know, our people, they know you're full of shit too. And I said, you got some fucking nerve. I said, a $50 Damascus knife, go fuck yourself. I got angry and I got super <laughs> angry. And I was more angry that he tried to get tough with a, with a emoji. And then he started responding with, hey man, be calm. And uh, you don't know anything, which I kind of wanted to write. You're right. And I wanted, I wanted, all of a sudden he started writing these things and I started to realize this guy doesn't, English is not his first language. And I am not a good put-down artist. I'm not a good put-down artist at all. So all of a sudden, I'm starting to think, I have this guy's handicap. This guy's English is not his first language. I'm going to wipe the fucking floor with this guy. And all of a sudden, I think, wait, wait, stop everything. You got to, this is going to be funny for the podcast. So I wrote, so he starts going, you know, he says all this stuff, be cool, man. You're coming from a place of hate, all this bullshit. And I write to him, Hey, man, can I ask you a question? And I'm hoping he responds. But by the time I write, hey, man, can I ask you a question? I realize it's like fishing. Sometimes you throw that fucking lure in the water and you spook the fish. I fucking spooked that fish. But we posted it. It was so funny. Everyone reported him. It was so funny, but I was so mad at myself because it was like, God, I could have like, I could have turned this into a new thing. So this is going to be our new thing. We're going to, and I think that as, you know, our listeners, Let's start having fun with these motherfuckers. Let's start having fun with these motherfuckers. And I don't think we, I think that if the guy didn't do that, let's, I don't think if the guy did that original, who says it's not yours, ugly, you know, emoji face, I don't think we would have said anything. But this is the new move. I think you can start having conversations with these guys and then post it and we'll post, repost it on, on, on Instagram. And what's he going to do? They're not going to come to your house. So let's 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 fuck with these guys and let's make it a bit. Let's and then sneak in a hey man, can I ask you a question? And then we got something going on here. That was funny. I was so funny. I was so mad. All these people were like, that's so funny. I was like so mad at myself for spooking that guy off. You blew too soon. I certainly well, well, blew well, too soon. Thorny brambles pull back. All right, baby. Let's make this happen. I think that's a show. I think we've got a show uh, on our hands. Damn right. Oh, that's good. Nice to see you. Right. We'll speak next week, and um, goodbye, everyone. All right. Goodbye. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. 
Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.